You're listening to Susan Weed presenting Plant Diva Play Shop at the 2019 Midwest Women's Herbal Conference. Okay, it's up to you whether you want to sit or lie down. I will endeavor to put myself in the middle of your mandala of bodies. How about that? You hear that all the way to the back? Okay, settle down. And begin to pay attention to your breathing. Let yourself be in your body. Feel the front of your body. And the sides of your body. And the back of your body. Breathe into the front of your body. Carry the breath all the way out to your sides. And breathe into your back. Sinking into the earth. giving way to gravity at the equator our planet is moving at a thousand miles an hour up here it's a little less only like 750 miles an hour on the other hand even 750 miles an hour is pretty fast gravity is your seatbelt Gravity is what keeps you from being spun right off this planet. Sink into it. Feel it. Let gravity make you heavy. And not only is our planet spinning around, it is spiraling around the sun. And it's spiraling around the sun at over 100,000 miles an hour. Sink into gravity. That would sure throw you off. Gravity holds you here. Gravity holds you in place. Nor is the sun still. The sun itself is moving at close to a quarter million miles an hour in the great spiral arm of our Milky Way galaxy. And here you thought you were just sitting still. When in fact, you're da dashing and dancing and whirling through space, dashing and dancing and whirling through space, let gravity hold you down. Where do you fight gravity? Where do you resist it, in your shoulders? Let them go. In your chin, let it go. In your hands, are you clinging, clutching, trying to hold on? Let it go. Open your hands, 
Wiggle your fingers. Let go. Right now, no one is going to ask anything of you. No one needs anything from you. No responsibility. No schedule. Nothing to do but sink into the earth. Where do you fight gravity? With your hips? With your buttocks? With your thighs? With your knees? Let go. Give it away. Let the earth take you in. Sink down. Sink as deep as the roots of the plants. Sink as deep as the plantain root, not very far. Sink as deep as the dandelion root, further. Be carried down as far as a burdock root goes down. All the way down there. Down through the roots. Down through the soil. Down through the rocks. Sink down into the deep underground waters. Feel the mycelium threading itself above you. Feel the heat of the earth warming you from beneath. Sink further. I was doing a trance once at my land. Wanted to see what had happened there a hundred years ago. I was laying on an old road. And what I saw was a big cart pulled by mules, loaded with rocks right over me. The mules were stepping on me. The cart was about to run over me. In a panic, I said, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. And this voice said, don't be silly. You're just in your imagination. You can't die here. Sink down. Down. Toward the heart of the earth. Toward the fiery heart of the earth. Feel the heartbeat of the earth. Yeah. 
and let the heartbeat of the earth vibrate in you, in your heart, in every cell. Like a group of birds flying together, let yourself entrain with the heartbeat of the earth. Like a school of fish swimming together, let yourselves entrain with the heartbeat of the earth. That heartbeat bringing you deeper and deeper. Sinking toward the center of the earth. Feel the great electromagnetic energy from the core of the earth. Molten iron. Strong at the center. Everything spinning around it. It's how we make electricity. Wrapping around an iron rod. Feel the earth generating. Electricity. Feel the earth generating its magnetic field. Allow yourself to be at the heart of the earth. Allow yourself to be at the still center. The whirling, swirling, moving earth all around you. Sitting at the still center, heart beating at one with the earth's heart. And from there, begin to expand. Expanding from the center of the earth out in all directions. East and south. West and north. Up and down. In every direction you are growing, growing larger, encompassing more, a sphere 
radiating out from the heartbeat center of planet Earth. That sphere grows larger and larger, coming back closer and closer to the surface, the whole surface of the Earth. Feel the continents. Feel the oceans. Be one with the earth. Expanding, letting your sphere grow larger and larger, through the underground waters, closer and closer to the surface. Thin peach fuzz surface of life spread around the planet. Let your heartbeat is one <coughs> with all forms of life. The standing people, the trees, the green nations, the smaller plants, the four-legged all those animals with four feet on the ground. The creepy crawlies and the flying, stinging, biting ones, too. The birds are calling. The one with the birds. Hummingbird moving in a blur, the eagle gliding on outstretched wings, the birds that wade, and the birds that dive. Be one with all the winged ones. Be one with the minerals, with the rocks, 
to Grandmother Twyla. The rocks were just as alive as any other part of the great life on this planet. A deep, old, slow wisdom. Let gratitude well up in your heart. Gratitude that we can share this beautiful planet with all these sentient beings. It all started with a single atom. Billions of the same kind of atom. Evenly distributed across space-time. And there we would still be, evenly distributed, all of space, no space, all of time, no time, nothing happening, everything balanced. to our delight and to our benefit. There was a perturbation and that perturbation caused movement in the balance. Tip the balance brought movement change spiraling energy swirling together. Atoms crowded together, igniting into suns. Suns burning fiercely. So fiercely that the very atoms they are made of change. The very, very earliest universe was just one thing. That one thing grew dense, burned, and was transformed into other things. Over and over again. Till at last, all the burning had created clouds of dust. And the dust, too. The new atoms, the new elements began to spin.
and to spiral, to respond to gravity, to be pulled into great disks around the burning stars, around the burning suns, great disks of dust swirling, spiraling, and then themselves coming together. We know that the moon is a piece of the earth. And we know what minerals there are on the moon, and there aren't very many. A couple of hundred at most. Where the earth has more than 2,000 different minerals. How did that come to be? starting with hydrogen, that we live on a planet with so many minerals and so many ways for those minerals to combine, to make the structures and forms of our living bodies. combine into scintillating jewels and gems. How it came to be was the chaos of life. Interactions. Dynamic disequilibrium. Moving, vibrating, pulsing, never ever balanced, always, always moving. Breathe in. Breathe into your body. Breathe into the front of your body. Breathe into your sides. Breathe into your back. Feel the heartbeat of the earth beating with your heart. And open your eyes. And be here. <laughs> I loved it. Zen monastery in Japan. The crows went ha ha ha. <laughs> they always have something to say about it.
Does anyone need or want to say anything about what we've just experienced? Yes. The next time I have to go to the dentist, when I have to have something to do. The next time you go to the dentist, when you need to have a visualization, you're going to go down into the earth. You're just going to sink down and let it all go. Wonderful idea. Beautiful idea. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. You were feeling very hot and very tense, and now you're feeling cool and more relaxed. At the, at the moment you said that everything is moving the second time, I opened my eyes briefly and was right here and watched the grass. When I said everything is moving, she opened her eyes, she's laying in her belly, and in front of her eyes, the grass was moving. What does Wankan Tanka mean? It does not mean the Great Spirit. That's a Christianization. You must beware of Christianity with feathers in it. <clears throat> the vast majority is what's passed off as Native American spirituality is Christianity with feathers, I'm sorry to say. You know, the, uh, religious groups responsible for burning the witches after they had basically eliminated womankind from Europe. And there were villages in Germany where there was not a single female of any age <coughs> left alive because the witches' children were burned with her. Having little left to destroy, they were sent over here with a mandate to kill every person of power they could find. They were especially successful in the plains. <coughs> As the white people moved out into the plains, and it said that within a 10-year period, more than 95% of the medicine people of the plains had been killed. And those who were left converted to Christianity. Wankan Taka means the mysterious movement. Only Christians think there's a creator. Others understand that there's creation. And that it is a co-creative process. That's how we got all the minerals on this planet, from co-creation. Small organisms in the ocean were able to create enough calcium that those organisms could have shells. But we had to create that calcium first. It wasn't just given to us. Every single mineral that we have here, we create it through the mysterious movement. And the altar to the mysterious movement was a patch of earth completely bare with a single down feather from a water bird on it. Even on the stillest day, that little feather will move. The mysterious movement that is life. The antithesis to the heroic goal of balance. How many people have been able to achieve balance in their lives? 
I see no hands. Why don't we just give it up? It's anti-life. <laughs> Let's try to be balanced. Breathe in. I have a wonderfully balanced class. Very good, very good. Excuse me, I didn't say you could breathe out. Now you're unbalanced. As you see, life requires dynamic disequilibrium. That's a phrase of uh, a wonderful person, E.O. Wilson. E.O. Wilson is considered to be smarter than Einstein. How's that? Whoa, and he's still alive and still writing. You may not know about him because he has spent most of his professional life studying ants. Which, let's face it, most of us do not have that much interest in except how do we get them out of our houses. But as he began to get older, E.O. decided that it was important for him to speak to larger issues. His most recent book is called Half Earth in which he says that everything on earth will be just fine if we can restrict ourselves to half of it and leave the other half alone. I'm not quite sure how we do that, but it's a wonderful idea. And in the book before that, he talks about dynamic disequilibrium. He says that when we are looking for life on other planets, we need not ever look at any planet that has an axis that goes straight up and down because that planet will be balanced and it will be incapable of sustaining life. What does our axis look like? When that flying hunk of rock hit the earth and knocked off the moon, which was a cataclysmic event, it tilted the axis of our planet and opened the door to life. Can we see that on our own lives? When we get hit by that big thing that we think, now I'm broken, now I'm in pieces, can we feel how much more life is available to us? If we're willing to flow, if we're willing to give up balance, if we're willing to be in that dynamic dance of disequilibrium, the dance of life, I said to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross once, why do people blame themselves for things that are totally outside of their control? And she said, oh, Susan, don't you understand that guilt and blame and shame give us the illusion of control and protect us against the chaos of life? What would happen if you let go of blame and shame and guilt? What would happen if you allowed yourself to be one with the mysterious movement, the chaos of life itself? I think the fairies represent chaos for us. <laughs> when I was teaching in Ireland and people said, oh, why are you in Ireland? I said, oh, well, I'm here to teach. And I came to meet the fairies and they would take a giant step back. <laughs> And I thought, I must be either not brushing my teeth or saying something wrong. <laughs> what is going on here? So I eventually made my way to a bookstore and started reading books about Irish fairies. They are mean. Oh, my gosh. Irish fairies will do you 
in with a smile. <laughs> you got to capture them and put them in a bottle. And those, oh, the healing woman, they were the ones who had the fairy in the bottle. And you never let that fairy out of the bottle because it will do great harm. But once you got it in the bottle, you can use it for healing. As long as you don't let it out. So the fairies, I think, are our human way of talking about the chaos of nature. You walk out into the woods. Trees have fallen every which way, falling on other trees. Plants are growing every which way, bending and turning and twisting, getting their little piece of the sun. Poisonous plants growing with medicinal plants, growing with edible plants all together, mixed up in one great oleo stirring pot of life. I worked for a program called Gardens for All, and our mandate was to go into schools and mental institutions and places where older people were living and encourage them to have gardens. And many of the gardens that I helped create in those places, people did not want their gardens in rows. And I was absolutely fine with that. There is no law that says plants in a garden must be in rows, is there? They wanted to broadcast the seed. I let them broadcast the seed. What are we going to grow? Let's mix all the seeds together and just throw them into the garden and then stomp around on it. They all love stomping all those seeds into the ground and then trying to identify what was growing. <laughs> or if they did attempt rows, they were often meanders. Not straight at all. People often look in my garden and go, what are you growing? And I go, weeds. Those other things, those tomatoes and things, they're just placeholders. It's really to get the weeds to come. A wonderful man named Joseph Kockenauer, no longer with us, wrote a book called Weeds, Guardians of the Soil. I read it way back in the early 70s. He talks about being a boy here in the plains and how everybody grew corn. And that his summer job was weeding the corn, going out with a hoe, and getting rid of the weeds from the corn. There was one farmer who never hired him. And after some years, he went to that farmer and he said, how come you never hire me to weed the corn? That farmer said, because the weeds make my corn grow better. And he thought this was just crazy. After all, everybody else was weeding their corn. But he checked it out, and it was true. That farmer had the greatest yields of anybody. And that farmer pointed to a little low plant growing with the corn that they called Pusley. You know about Pusley? Portulaca oleraceae, commonly known nowadays as purslane. And that farmer said, this Pusley, it keeps the roots of the corn cool. You take it away in the sun, which has stilt roots, roots up above the ground. It gets all dehydrated, and it can't get juicy. You leave that puzzly grow. That corn's going to be juicier and sweeter. It's going to grow better. See those yellow docks, he says? 
They've got deep roots and they pull up subsurface minerals and they spread those minerals right at the surface where the corn can get to them. You hoe that yellow dock down, now your corn can't be mineral rich. <clears throat> I was out teaching down in the Appalachians. Had a couple of days between classes. I said, what can I do to help? Man of the house said, I'm going out to cut firewood. I said, let's go. I'm very skilled with the chainsaw. So we got all our tools and gloves and everything we needed. And we're walking out to where we're going to cut up some firewood. And we walk past this apple orchard. And I say, look at all that yellow dock in your apple orchard. And he says, yep, it's great for the iron. And I said, gee, I didn't know you knew herbal medicine. He said, what about herbal medicine? I know nothing about herbal medicine. I said, you just said that yellow dock was good for iron. He says, it feeds those apple trees iron. And then they're more resistant to pests. I don't have to worry about those insects in my apple orchard because I keep the yellow dock in there. And that feeds those trees. We so often think about using the plants for people. And not very often recognize that the plants have been here a lot longer than there's been people. They are the ancient ones. And they have relationships among themselves, helping each other, that we are only eavesdropping on to learn how we can get in on the conversation which started between the plants themselves. Plants don't make antioxidants for us, they make them for themselves. Plants are under enormous oxidative stress. And the more stress that a plant is under, the more vitamins, especially antioxidant vitamins, it will produce. If you pick a plant and don't use it for a day or two, it can have almost double the vitamins that it had when you picked it. Because it's being stressed. The longer you cook corn, the higher the amount of vitamins in the corn. Cook it for two hours, vitamin content almost doubles. Cook it for 10 hours, vitamin content is four times higher. Cook it for three days, vitamin content is almost 100 times higher. Vitamins don't dissipate. They're made by plant tissues to help them deal with stress. The more you stress the plant, the more vitamins it has. That's why organic produce has more vitamins. It's more stressed. My native teachers always said to me, the plant that will really help in the condition that you don't think can be helped will be the plant that is growing with the most guardians around it. If you can find that plant in a poison ivy patch, that's the one you want. If you can find it growing in the midst of brambles, that's the one you want. I once picked my way into the middle of a raspberry patch, eating raspberries high and low, right and left, until I suddenly turned around and discovered there was no way out. <laughs> That's the plant we want. When we think 
There isn't any way to do it. Should we do another trance? Ready to lie down again? Okay. Can I ask for um, some thoughts and prayers? Um, I'm from Dayton, Ohio. Thoughts and prayers from Dayton, Ohio. My school had an award-winning garden that all the children from preschool up did, and it was... And her school had an award-winning garden. All of the children from preschool right on up worked in that garden. And destroyed in the tornadoes. And the tornadoes ate the garden. Going to start again. <laughs> you thought the garden was for people. And the tornado said, it's for me. I need these things. So we send condolences to those who are grieving that their plans met the uncontrollable chaos of life. No blame, no shame, no guilt. All right. How often do our plans meet? The unstoppable chaos of life. Good lesson for the kids, I guess. Good lesson for all of us to say, ah, we must do it for the doing of it, not for the reward at the end. If we receive our reward in every second of the doing, then we can never be deprived because we are always filled. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Yeah. Breathe out. Breathe out. And become empty. The out breath the breath that is volitional. The out-breath is the only part of the breath that we can choose. In happens. In happens because we breathe out. So just breathe out and let the in-breath happen. Someone's very upset. Our culture says take a deep breath. What a bad idea. Let's change it to breathe out. Someone's upset. Hold your finger up in front of them and say, this is a birthday cake candle, blow it out. The more we breathe out, the calmer we become. The more we breathe out, the more room there is to breathe in. People who have breathing difficulties often have those breathing difficulties because they don't exhale fully. Let it go. Breathe out. Breathe out from your feet all the way up to your lungs. Breathe out from your fingertips all the way up to your lungs. Breathe out from the ends of your hair all the way out from your lungs. Breathe out.
Just let the in-breath happen. Breathe out and add gratitude to your out-breath. As you breathe out, be grateful. And grateful for the warmth of the sun. I'm grateful for the zephyrs of breeze that playing or that are playing around me. I'm grateful to the soil and the dirt under my feet, between my toes. I'm grateful to the lightning, the thunder, and the rain. I'm deeply, deeply grateful that herbal medicine is people's medicine, is spreading far and wide, that we the people are reclaiming the medicine that grows right outside our door. Simple, safe, effective remedies right at hand. Breathe out with gratitude. Breathe out the carbon dioxide you cannot use. One atom of carbon, two atoms of oxygen. Letting go. Breathing out, trusting that if you give it all away, you will be filled. Breathing out. And if you will, if you wish, giving your breath a color, a hue, a tint, so you can watch it as you breathe out. So you can envision it. So you can imagine it more easily. Breathing out carbon, oxygen, carbon dioxide, watching it now. 
Where does it go? Blown about by the breezes. And do you feel it? Being pulled in by the plants. Can you see? Can you imagine? Can you envision your breath being taken in by the grass, by the dandelions, by the trees? The standing ones, the ancient ones, the green nations, taking in your breath, taking in the carbon dioxide, the carbon and oxygen you breathed out. What do they do with it? The photosynthesis is quite complicated. I'm going to give you a highly abbreviated and very simplistic form, photosynthesis, or at least the beginning, which isn't completely scientifically accurate, but true enough for our purposes. All those plants take in your carbon dioxide and cleave off a single oxygen atom because they want carbon monoxide, one carbon, one oxygen joined together, the molecule carbon monoxide to start photosynthesis. That one oxygen the plant has sheared off is a free radical. That's what causes the oxidative stress the oxygen stress. Plants are stressed by this extra oxygen, so they do their best to get rid of it. Can you imagine? Can you envision? Can you see that plant breathing that oxygen out, getting rid of that terrible poisonous gas? oxygen, that horrible toxin oxygen. Put a plant in a closed space, that oxygen will kill it. Put a person in an enclosed space, carbon dioxide will kill us. Toxins or food. Nothing on this planet is a toxin. Everything on this planet is food. I eat you, and you eat me. And so it goes. 
I breathe in what the plants breathe out, and the plants breathe in what I breathe out. When I took that very first breath as an air-breathing infant, when I was born from my mama, and I breathed that first breath, was a gift from the plants. And that last breath, that last volitional exhale that gathers up my spirit, embraces it and carries it out of my physical body, my last gift back to the plant. Every breath in between a giveaway dance. Every breath I take is a giveaway dance with the plants. Waking, sleeping. Laying in the grass or looking at your phone. Still breathing in a giveaway dance. Breathing atoms of carbon and oxygen. We're not making those atoms of carbon or oxygen. We're passing them back and forth. And not only have we been passing them back and forth our whole lives, but so has every other breathing thing, every other plant on this planet. Just think. Those atoms of carbon and oxygen dancing back and forth between you and the plants we're in the lungs of some woman in Africa. We're in the strange plants of New Zealand. Just a few days ago, just a few weeks ago, Blowing and circulating, moving around the planet. Never still, always dancing. Missing someone, breathe in. Breathe in the atoms of carbon and oxygen that they breathed in. Bring them back into you. This is not fancy, this is science. This is not a story. It's fact. It's a fact those atoms of carbon and oxygen were in the lungs of the dinosaurs. That you are breathing dinosaur breath. You are breathing atoms that were in horse tails taller than tall buildings.
Our breath can carry us everywhere and every when. It is the beginning of your shape-shifting practice. To breathe. To recognize the giveaway dance and to know that we all share that breath. We all share those atoms of carbon and oxygen. You've heard that every cell in your body is replaced every seven years. That's true, but not in such a orderly fashion as we might think. Some cells reproduce much faster than others. Mucous surfaces of your digestive system and your lungs reproduce every 24 hours. The cells of your liver replace your liver every 30 days. You get new kidneys every six or seven weeks. And over a seven-year period, every cell in your body has been replaced. Let's drop down a little. Those cells are made of molecules. Those molecules are made of atoms. An atomic turnover is seven days. Every week, every atom in your body is replaced with a new atom. Mysterious movement. Breathe with the plants. Choose an ally. Sit with your ally and breathe. Imagine, envision, know that you are literally exchanging real physical atoms with the plant. And that as little as 10 minutes a day, for 10 days will turn you into a plant. We'll start the process of your self-knowledge that the very atoms of yourself have been gifted to you by the plants. Breathe your gratitude out to the plants and take in their joy. Take in their bliss. 
Breathe out. And give your breath away. Trust that you will be filled. And open your eyes. Come back to now, this time, this place. There's a person in Woodstock who specializes in working with people with breathing difficulties and her motto is don't breathe in. <laughs> Especially for people with any kind of breathing difficulty, the worst possible thing for them to do is breathe in. What happened when you really allowed yourself to breathe out? Were you filled? Did the breath come back? We have two kinds of nervous systems, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, and they join right here in the place where the butterflies live, right? <coughs> you say, oh, I have butterflies. That's where they live, right? Those two nervous systems, right there. And what else is here? The breathing muscle attaches right here, doesn't it? All along the bottom edge of the rib cage. You have that breathing muscle. Our Tai Chi teacher, won't, he's a very old-fashioned person, he won't say the name of the breathing muscle because he says it's a birth control device. I said, oh, oh, but dear, most of, most of the apprentices don't even know that you could use that as a birth control device. <laughs> He's taking to asking them, do you know who Marilyn Monroe is? I said, Since I told him that they don't know what a, what a diaphragm birth control is. <laughs> so when we are up tight, we are literally up tight in the diaphragm. That's where we're up tight. And that up tight prevents the sinking of the diaphragm, which is what happens when we exhale. When, I'm sorry, which, what happens when we inhale. So we exhale, the diaphragm comes up, the lungs are squeezed. And to the extent that we do that and then release, that diaphragm falls down and the lungs open up and fill with air. To the extent that we are uptight, it becomes difficult to fully exhale and almost impossible to really inhale. There's a carbon dioxide sensor in your body. And when there's too much carbon dioxide in your body, your body stops breathing. How do we get rid of carbon dioxide? Breathing out. Breathing out relaxes us. Breathing out allows that in-breath. And how much better when we know that we are doing this with the aid and the support and the encouragement and the joy of the plants. Every one of the green nations 
gives away to us. Of course, they're giving away something they couldn't possibly use. But that's okay. We give back what we can't use. That's how everything on this planet gets nourished. We give away what can't be used. And thus the cycle goes around. The great Central Valley of California grows the vast majority of organic and non-organic produce that we eat in North America. It's a dry place, so it's irrigated. The soils are volcanic soils. They're high in selenium. The irrigation water dissolves that selenium, takes it out of the soil and brings it into the water. And the irrigation waters, as they run off, are very rich in selenium. And as they gather, they gather in a great, beautiful lake there in the Central Valley, which over the years of irrigation became richer and richer and richer in selenium. And that lake is on a great flyway where the birds migrate up and down the West Coast and the birds were dying by the thousands from the selenium in the water. Big problem, huge problem. How do we solve this problem? Well, we called in the Army Corps of Engineers and the Army Corps of Engineers says, we will solve the problem, get out the bulldozers. Get out the backhoes and they buried the lake. Now we don't have to worry about any more dead birds. <laughs> I'm laughing because of people's reactions. <laughs> the, the, the reactions are quite uh, explicit as to how could anybody think that that would work? Because you're right, the lake came back. <laughs> Meanwhile, down in Southern California, San Diego, at uh, the University of California in San Diego, there, was, there were scientists who were working on yet another problem. San Diego being just below Orange County. When my parents moved to Orange County, there were gasp orange trees there. There are no, more any, there are no longer any orange trees in Orange County, but it used to be loaded with orange trees. There's a very big center for creating orange juice. Have you ever made orange juice? And what are you left with? Big stack of orange rinds, huh? The, well, the, the rind, the actual rind of the orange, right? And what happens if you throw that in your compost pile? Sorry? You can't have balanced compost. If you have balanced compost, it's dead. There's no balance. Okay? No, it does, no, it does nothing. It does Nothing. There are very powerful antifungal and antibacterial components in orange peel. You can put that orange peel in your compost. Your compost can get really hot. It can totally work. And there's, there'll be orange peels sitting there, along with the bones and the eggshells. The coffee grounds will be absorbed and turned into compost, but not the orange peels. So there's a growing problem in San Diego with orange peels because they were disallowed now from throwing them in the ocean. That's what they had been doing all along. They just took the orange peels and chucked them in the ocean. And then environmental groups said, you can't throw the orange peels in the oceans anymore. And San Diego was about to be consumed under a tsunami of orange peels. And they could not figure out what to do with these orange peels. But one of the scientists working on this problem discovered that there was a mushroom, a mycelium, that could actually consume orange peels. 
The difficulty was that this mycelium required enormous amounts of selenium. And they didn't know where they could possibly get all those enormous amounts of selenium. And because the universe is truly kind to us, as the lake began to reappear, somehow word trickled down to San Diego that there was a problem with a lake filled with selenium. And they said, get out the trucks, fill them full of orange peels. Let's go, I've got the spores. And they trucked all those orange peels from San Diego up to the Central Valley, and they put them out, and they watered it with the water from that lake, which was full of selenium, and they put those spores in there, and that mycelium started growing, and the water was free of selenium, and the birds were happy, and the orange peels started to compost, and life is so good. If we stop trying to clean things up, if we stop making problems and start looking for what eats this? What eats this? When I was teaching in Alaska, I had some free time. And I said, that place where the, um, the Exxon oil spill was, can I go and see that? They said, well, you can, Susan, but it's a long journey. And you have to like do some of it in a car and some of it in a train. And, some of it in a kayak out on the ocean. I said, kayak out on the ocean? Oh, you're talking my language here. Let's go, yeah! Ooh. And so we did. A wonderful kayaking partner. We're still in touch many, many years later. Wonderful Alaskan midwife. And we uh, had notable adventures as we kayaked around to uh, the area where the spill was. Now, you saw the pictures, right? They cleaned up, didn't they? How did they clean up that oil spill? Detergent, that's right. They went out there with detergent to break down that oil. And they washed all those animals, too. They washed the otters and they washed the seabirds. And, you know, it was over 10 years since the oil spill had been there. And when we came into to the big bay where that oil spill was, it was clean. No seaweed. No shellfish. No plants. Nothing. No animals. Clean. It was clean. And I said to the people still there, the birds and the otters that you washed, how long did they live? And they said, ah, two or three days. How come? Because they have oil on their skin that protects them from those frigid waters. Right? Every time I've ever gotten in a kayak beforehand, I just get wet before I get in the kayak. Because you're going to be in the kayak, you're going to be wet. And I started to do that. I said, don't do that. You'll die of hypothermia. Because waters are too cold. Don't get wet. And do your best to keep the water out of your kayak. And you see the, the native people there, their kayaks are fully covered over the top, aren't they? It's cold. Very, very cold water. So the birds and the otters have a layer of fat. I had a goose who was injured by a fox. And the fox ripped out the goose's armpit. And so I brought the goose in the house to tend to it. And it took quite a while for that enormous wound. And there were several other puncture wounds in the goose to heal. And then when I put the goose out, and the first time it rained, I looked out and my goose was standing in the rain going, shiver, 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 shiver. And I realized, oh my gosh, the goose doesn't have its protective fat layer. I had to bring it in. 
and towel it off. And dry it off, it had been sitting by the wood stove all winter with me. <laughs> right, I put it by the wood stove where it'd be warm while I was healing. <laughs> and then now my goose is like, can't, can't be outside. So, you know, when you look at a map, a bay, you know, looks kind of like a, a, a half moon, right? There's a the bay coming in there. But when you're in a kayak, it doesn't look like that at all. Right? It looks more like a kind of distorted hand. There's little bays and inlets and all kinds of things around, right? So we got back on our kayaks because we knew that some other people had done something different in a tiny little inlet. And we kayaked around to where that little inlet was. The inlet was part of the oil spill. There was oil all over there, but nobody cleaned it. Nobody washed anything. Instead, the people who worked there had a different idea. And that idea was, what is crude oil? What is it? It's either, it's either really, really, really fermented dinosaurs a really, really old sauerkraut. We're not quite sure, but it's some really old thing that has gone through a fermentation process and then pressure. As much oil as was spilled by the Exxon Valdez bubbles up from the ocean floor every 24 hours. How come the ocean is not a parking lot? They ask themselves. Crude oil is old animals or plants, we don't know which, and it's bubbling up from the ocean floor. Where does it go? What happens to it? And as they, it doesn't just disperse, oh no, because oil floats on water. Can't disperse, that's why they use detergent, because oil does not disperse in water. If you've ever made salad dressing, you know. Oil does not disperse in water, it floats to the top. Where does it go, they said. What's happening to all this oil? Something's eating it. There are no toxins on this planet. Everything is food. Something is eating it. And they were able to find and identify the microorganisms in ocean water that eat crude oil. Whose food, whose livelihood is eating crude. And they were able to work with these organisms and to bring them to this inlet and to free them into this contaminated environment. That inlet was thriving. There were plants. There was seaweed. There were shellfish. There were little fish. There were all the parts of ocean life there thriving because it hadn't been cleaned. Be aware that anytime anybody tells you to be in balance, what they're saying is die. <laughs> and that anytime somebody tells you to clean or cleanse, they are telling you to damage and destroy yourself. Clean and cleanse are not words that this planet recognizes. Does the rain cleanse? Well, if it did, nothing could grow. No, every drop of rain forms around what? Dust. 
dust, which is what? Minerals. Rain brings mineral richness to the soil. Where I live, and here too, snow is called the poor farmer's fertilizer. Because every snowflake forms around a mineral. And interestingly enough, in North America, many of those minerals are coming from the Saharan Desert in Africa because of the way the prevailing winds blow and the way they loft that dust and those minerals up into the air. And then they fall back down on us. Not cleansing, not cleaning, nourishing. The rain and the snow nourish. They nourish the soil and they nourish us. My apprentices are not allowed to clean anything. They can sweep, they can dust, they can wash, they can scrub, they can tidy, but they can never ever clean. clean. <laughs> Anybody want to share anything in this discussion? Anyone want to ask anything about the trance that we did? Anybody want to add here? As an acupuncturist, she has been deceived into thinking that she brings balance. How can I transform my thought into... Just drop it. You're not, you're not making balance. You're opening pathways for energy flow. You're helping the body understand which way the energy ought to flow. Changing the mysterious movement. When you're meeting that person exactly where they are. Yeah. So they can, they can move from there. Yeah. You are in the place that we went to first. That still center. That everything revolves around. So that they can begin revolving again. So you change places with them. They've become stuck. You can take on that stillness and free them into the movement because you know how to get back from stuck to movement. And they don't. Ted Kapchuk brought acupuncture to the United States. My uh, lover, Aria, decided that she wanted to be an MD. And so together we studied, did all the pre-med courses, and then she got accepted to a medical school, to Tufts, in fact, and she was very thrilled. We were no longer lovers at that point. She called me up and she said, I've been accepted to medical school. I said, yes! She said, talk me out of it. <laughs> I said, Arya, we studied really hard so you could get accepted to medical school, and you've been accepted. She said, talk me out of it. I said, uh, but you want to be a doctor? She said, talk me out of it. I said, you don't want to do this. The last thing you want to do is be an MD. She said, you're right, I want to be an acupuncturist. So she was the very first graduating class from the Boston School of Acupuncture. And Ted's book, The Web That Has No Weaver, came out the same year my green book did, and both books are still in print. Uh, there, I don't think that there has been anything better written about the philosophy of acupuncture or um, Chinese medicine than The Web That Has No Weaver by Ted Kapchuk. A little over a dozen years ago, Ted put down his acupuncture needles and said, acupuncture is placebo. 
There is nothing in those needles that does anything at all. Is acupuncture an ancient technique? Gang, it uses very thin steel needles. How long have we been able to make very thin steel needles? Industrial revolution, not long. Acupuncture is new, new, new. It was never used before the cultural revolution and now brought acupuncture to the fore. Because he did not want Chinese traditions to exist. And did his best. I take great heart when I look at what Mao did in China and I say, Trump is nothing. <laughs> say, oh man, look at that. And the Chinese managed to survive that. <sighs> we can do some trumping. <laughs> bad as it is, it ain't as bad as that was. <laughs> so Ted is now the only person at Harvard and he has his own research center at Harvard. PIPS in which they are investigating the placebo effect. He's the only person teaching there who does not have an MD or a PhD. And he has shown quite conclusively that indeed acupuncture is merely placebo. That has no direct effect on the body at all. And he's done, done some very interesting experiments to show this. One, he took people who had asthma and they were divided into four groups. Two groups received real acupuncture, in which the needles actually pierced the skin, and two groups received sham acupuncture. And what he does is he takes the acupuncture needle and he puts it in a tube. And then there's a sham needle that can touch the skin but can't penetrate it. And then there's a little poker to poke the needle down. So nobody knows, not the acupuncturist or the person receiving it, if it's a real needle or a sham needle. So one group got real acupuncture, the other group got sham acupuncture. And then there were two groups that didn't get acupuncture. One of the groups that didn't get acupuncture and one of, and one of the groups that did had to wait alone for 15 minutes before they received their treatment. I'm sorry, there were two groups that got real acupuncture and two groups that got sham. And one sham group and one real group had to wait for 15 minutes. Alone. And then a practitioner came in, did the acupuncture, and walked out without a word to them. The other two groups, one real acupuncture, one sham acupuncture, had someone with them. And that person looked at them and said, Tell me about yourself. <coughs> and they touched them. The people who got the sham acupuncture and the attention did as well as the people who got the real acupuncture and attention. And both of those groups did far better than the people who waited alone for 15 minutes. The healing presence and that's why he put down his needles. He said, I don't need these needles. All I need is a healing presence. Use them if you will. It's not a problem to use them. But it's not important. What's important is your presence. 
It's important is your connection. And we know that has nothing to do with balance. How are we doing on time? I don't want to know. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> Linear time, let me go. Linear time, don't you know that the world that I seek is beyond your reach? Linear time, let me go. Linear time, don't you know that the world that I seek is beyond your reach? Linear time, let me go. Linear time, don't you know that the world that I seek is beyond your reach? Linear time, let me go. Linear time, don't you know that the world that I seek is beyond your reach. And so what time is it? <laughs> is that supposed to be our end time? Oh, we get to go for another half hour. No, 11.45. 11.45. That's what I thought, because they're hour, uh, they're hour and a half. And they're short classes, but that's okay, because then you get to, to experience a lot of people. And how great. A question or a comment here? I have a burning question. A burning question. She has lots and lots of buckthorn. Is that cascara? Is that cascara? What's what's the botanical name of buckthorn? Okay. Anybody know? What? Ramnus. Okay. Uh huh. The first thing that we can learn from the plants, the, f the first part of plant language that we can get is that plants that grow close to us want to be used and plants that grow far away from us don't want to be used. But there's a group of plants that don't abide by that. And I call those plants the earth healing plants. And they are plants that come into areas of the earth where the earth no longer wants any human contact. Poison ivy. Blackberries in Oregon. How big do the blackberries get in Oregon? What? They eat the barn. In, I, I have never seen blackberries like that. When they're little, they're about as big around as your wrist. And when they're big, the stalk of it is as big around as your upper arm. These are enormous. There are uh, brambles in New Zealand um, where they have uh, road trains. You know how we have like the semi and it's pulling a tractor? And then occasionally you see a semi that's pulling two tractors? Where in New Zealand, they can pull up to four. Road train. And these brambles grow across the road overnight and blow out the tires. <laughs> right? Earth healing plants. I suspect your buckthorn is an earth healing plant. Does that make sense to you? That's my sense of what it, because it has thorns. And usually the earth healing plants in some way keep us away. Now, the other thing we know is that any plant who has to be protected by thorns or stingers is probably edible. Because if you are going to poison something that eats you, it's pointless to protect yourself. They'll just die.
If you are a poisonous plant, you do not need to protect yourself because you will kill. Right? So either that animal will not make the same mistake twice, <laughs> or its offspring will not make the mistake it made. My goats went out and ate an incredibly poisonous plant in, in the woods, Veratrum viridis, sometimes called Indian poke, not at all related to uh, Indian poke, or false hellebore. Why is it false? Because it's not hellebore? Okay. And I was panicking and freaking out because it contains cardiac glycosides, and I thought my goats were all going to kill themselves. And I would pull one away, and the others would be eating it, and I would pull another one away, and the others, and it's just like, all right, I give up. Well, they got very sick, vomiting. They did not die, but they got really, really sick. Now, whenever the goats go into the woods and they see that plant, they start going, right? Which is their way of saying, this is a bad thing. Stay away from it. That plant is the smoothest, glossiest, prettiest plant in the forest. Except perhaps for American mandrake, another really poisonous plant in my forest, which is also smooth and shiny. Right? Compare that to Nopal cactus. One of the most edible of all cactuses. In, in its native form, covered with not only cactus spines, but glockids. Little hairs that get in your skin and drive you absolutely bonkers. Of course, because it is so edible, we have managed to genetically modify it. Women's way, slow and sneaky, to have virtually no spines and hardly any glockids at all so that we can eat Nopale, thank you very much. <laughs> but in general, a plant that is thorny or spiny is telling you that it is edible. <laughs> that it's not gonna poison you because the plants that poison you, well, they don't have to do that. So one of the things that, that you might already be doing is sitting with it and saying, how can I help you do what you're doing? I have a good friend, we call her Amy Apple. She runs about 350 acres of fruit trees with her siblings, her mom, and I think her grandma just died. It's a big family affair. And of course, a host of Jamaicans to help them out. And her dad was no longer with them, but her dad had planted an orchard in the 50s. And she said, will you come and help me cut this orchard down? It's like aged out. And besides which, this is a chemically dependent orchard. So the trees, the apple trees that he had planted in the 50s were totally chemically dependent. They could, actually could not live unless they were sprayed about every three days with something. Herbicides, pesticides, growth factors, fertilizers, you just had to be on those trees. She said, I, want, I just, as a matter of fact, she was one of the first people in the Hudson River Valley to grow organic apples for which she was nearly lynched. Right, because the other farmer said, you are going to spread disease and insects like crazy to our trees. You are going to bring us all to our knees. You cannot do this. Of course, three years later, they were at her doorstep going, please teach us how to grow without alar. Please, Amy, will you tell us how to grow the apples without alar? Because we know you've been working on it. And she was able to. Anyhow, those of us who were great with chainsaws 
said, we'll help you, Amy, we will cut these apple trees down, we'll cut down the orchard with you. And we arrived, you know, with our Kevlar chaps and our gloves and our chainsaws and everything we needed on the appointed day to help her cut down this apple orchard. And the trees were completely covered in poison ivy vines. <laughs> Huge poison ivy vines running up the trunks of the trees and out into the branches and poison ivy everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And we are about to cut through it and splatter poison ivy juice all over us. And I'm like, ooh. I said, eh, eh, before we turn these chainsaws on, let's just do a little ceremony here. So everybody put it down, just sit down. Let's just get in touch with the earth and let's specifically breathe with the poison ivy. And let's alert the poison ivy to the fact that we are here. And what I want to tell the poison ivy is, thank you for doing this work. Thank you for doing your best to keep people and their chemicals away from here. It hasn't worked. And so we are going to cut these trees down and there will be no more chemicals here. You have been successful, but you can only be successful through us, so leave us alone. We are going to do your work. We're going to do what you want. You want people not to put chemicals here. That's what we want too, and we're going to make it happen. So be nice to us. Not a single one of us got a speck of poison ivy rash. We worked all day in the hot sun, cutting these trees down. But that's all we did was cut them down. And the next day, the workers on her farm came and cut them up and hauled them away. And they were covered in poison ivy several days, poison ivy rash several days later. Because I hadn't included them in our ceremony, had I? Find out what your buckthorn is doing. Can you do it? If you can, then you can ask it to go away or even cut it down. But you have to do what it's doing. You have to take care of the earth in the way that it's taking care of the earth. Is that something you could do? I've been pondering. I want mean? to be a good steward. Yeah. But I... So let the buckthorn tell you what it's doing and see if you can do it. And if not, say, go to. You're doing it better than me. And that's absolutely great. Yeah. When I was woofing in New Zealand um, with my sweetheart, and we were coming right in after a cyclone, I mean literally hours after the cyclone, and of course they wanted him out with the chainsaw, and I'm like, I can run a chainsaw. And they went, no, you sit here and tell us stories. Right? <laughs> <laughs> And we were talking about uh, poison ivy, and there's hardly any poison ivy in New Zealand at all. And this, he was complaining that he had a whole field of poison ivy. And I said, well, it's quite unusual to even to find that much poison ivy in New Zealand. And it's an earth healing plant. It comes in where the earth has been destroyed. And my, uh, my native teachers say that poison ivy specifically comes where the earth has been hurt by metal. Uh, and interestingly, in old Europe, the herbalists never used a metal knife to harvest plants because it was understood that that metal was somehow harmful. I don't quite understand and I use scissors being a modern person. I don't have uh, a stone blade but flint is sharp, sharp as glass. It will work. I'm telling him that, and he said, well, I haven't plowed that field or done anything with metal up there. And his wife looked at him and said, yes, you have. 
you got that new Becca when you went up there to practice with it. <laughs> so he disturbed the earth with metal. And now he has hectares and hectares of poison ivy. Hmm. Saying, all right, you'll not do that again. And he hasn't. So he doesn't want to go up there and plow that field. One last story, and then I think we'll go. I was sitting outside in the fall day, late, late in the afternoon, and you know those beautiful slanty rays of sun that had come down on the, in the fall. And it's so warm, and you know, oh boy, it's getting cold. And I'm sitting with my back against my wood pile. I heat only with, with wood. I have no backup heat of any kind, just wood. That's it. And uh, closed my eyes, basked in the sun, and behind my eyelids were bluebirds and unicorns and rainbows and stars and sweet song and beautiful smells, and I was really enjoying myself. And as it will, at that time of the year, the sun shifted away from me, and so I shifted over to stay in that bit of sunlight. And I wasn't leaning up against the woodpile anymore. When I closed my eyes, all those fun things weren't there anymore. I said, oh, I wonder where they went. I went back over in the shade, leaned up against the woodpile, and sure enough, rainbows and shooting stars and beautiful sounds and smells and colors and textures. I'm like, where's this coming from? And the wood in the woodpile said, us. And I said, no, it can't be. It can't be. Because, after all, we cut you down. I cut you down and cut you up and split you and stacked you here. I killed you. So you're angry at me. And the wood said, why on earth would we be angry at you? The guilt and blame and shame just works its way in everywhere, doesn't it? And I said, well, because, because I killed you. And the wood kind of muttered and said, oh, right. Oh, my gosh, we forgot. You think you're an individual. I said, yeah. They said, well, we're not. I said, what? And they said, you can't destroy oak. Over here. Doo -doo -doo. Thank you. You can't destroy oak because no one oak tree is an oak. All of the oak trees are oak. And oak is very excited and happy that we're going to get to go in your house. We get to walk into the human world because you have given us this gift of cutting us down and cutting us up and you will bring us in your house and we can tell all of Oak what it's like in your house. We think of the fairies as being individuated. The divas are not. The idea of divas was brought forth into this era by Dorothy McLean a woman who was one of the founders of Fintorn. So far north in Scotland that when I taught there, the first week of August, we had to have a fire in the wood stove in the classroom because we were freezing in August. And the soil, very barren. It was actually used as a military base for a while. So not just barren, but paved. And really run over. And 
and Dorothy McLean and the others who started Findhorn got into direct communication with the earth and with the plants and with the entities that she called divas who taught her how to work there. She wrote a book, Dorothy McLean, and so you can read. She actually found divas in her typewriter and I said, the diva of the typewriters, and she said, oh, they're everywhere. And to her, they were the overarching, the overriding spirits of things. That there is an oak diva, and there's just one oak diva for the entire planet. And that encompasses all oak, past, present, and future, all kinds of oak, the many, many varieties. There is one, one diva for grass. Whereas we think of the fairies as being far more individual. Now, as I said, the fairies in Ireland are considered pretty mean. Shakespeare really changed that, didn't he? He wrote a play about summer solstice. And what did he call it? Midsummer Night's Dream. Mid Night's Dream. Okay. So one of my pet peeves is people who believe that summer begins on June 21st. What happens on June 21st or thereabouts? Solstice. Solstice, which it means what? The, days the shift of the days. It's the longest day, and so the very next day the days grow shorter. Is that any time to start summer? No, summer starts when? May Day. May Day is the beginning of summer, and that's when the fairies come out to play. Likewise, winter solstice is not the beginning of winter. When is the beginning of winter? Halloween, Halloween. Followed by the Day of the Dead. Yes. And that's when the fairies go back in the fairy mounds. So the fairies are here and active from the beginning of summer till the beginning of winter, from the beginning of May until the end of October. It is said that fairies like beauty. They like sex too. <laughs> the best way to get fairies in your garden is to make love in a beautiful way on May Day. Failing that Put out pretty things for them. So Dorothy and the others at Findhorn decided that they needed to not just be in touch with the divas, but to set aside an area for the fairies. And when I was there, they had finally decided that they couldn't keep people out of the fairy area without a fence, and their fairy area was fenced. And they said it just kind of broke their hearts to have to fence the fairy area. It just seemed so wrong to them to put a fence around the fairy area, but they just couldn't keep people from walking through it. I have a fairy area at my place too. And one of the first things I do is I take people out in the woods and I say, okay, you see this bright green path stretching ahead of you in the woods? As Soon as you see a bright green path in the woods, that's fairies. Don't go in there. Fairy area goes out to here, it goes out to here, it goes out to there, there, that's, this confines the fairy area. Don't go in there. The goats can go in there, the squirrels can go in there. And they say, why not? I say, because the fairies are our way of understanding chaos. And everything else on this planet is just fine with chaos except for people. 
leave a human alone in the forest with nothing in their hands. They don't have to be naked, but they could be. Leave them alone for an hour, and when you come back, what will you find? Order. Organization, right? They will have picked up stones and put them in a circle. They will have picked up sticks and made a neat little pile of them. <laughs> There's even an artist who does this, right? Brilliant art. Organizing nature. We are the organizers. Hooray for human beings. We organize things. How lovely. The fairies hate it. Michelle Small Wright wrote a brilliant book, Behaving as if the God in all life mattered. If you have not read it, please find a copy and read it. Michelle Small Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. She then went on to declare that she had a fairy garden. I took one look at a picture of her fairy garden and I said, no self-respecting fairy would ever set foot in her garden. It was laid out mathematically, not just in rows, but in squares. Things tightly confined and weeded to within an inch of their life. Fairies ain't going there, Michelle. Right? <laughs> no, the fairies want chaos. So we had a, a, a full green goddess and... Um, Took everybody out to look for camping places. We have special areas we like people to camp. And I said, don't go in the fairy area. This is the fairy area. It goes from here to here to here. And don't go in the fairy area. And we're going up here and we'll look at camping spots. Because right, the fairy area is on the way. So Marie and I, I love you, Marie. Um, we're cooking and cooking and cooking. Because there was a lot of people. And we were doing like here, late night cooking, right? You do your late night cooking so you, don't, so you can eat lunch. <laughs> Cook late at night. It's the best time and it's cooler too. And we're cooking and cooking. And finally it's like, okay, we got it all done. And it's like way past one o'clock. So I, you know, do your little evening routine. You wipe off your face. You brush up your teeth. You do whatever you have to do. And then I went in my room and lit a candle and <sighs> settled down, got ready for sleep, blew out the candle. Laid my head on the pillow, and the fairies began to pinch me and pull my hair and pinch me and pull my hair. I said, stop! What are you doing? It's not fair. I need to sleep. Come on. Somebody's in our area. I said, no, 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 no. There's nobody in your area. I told them all not to. Pinch, pull, pull, pinch. I'm like, oh, please, leave me alone. Somebody's in our area. Get up right now and get them out. I'm like, it's 2 o'clock. At night. Pinch, pull, pull, pinch. All right, all right, all right, all right. So I get up, start naked, that's how I sleep. Walk out, walk into the woods. Sure enough, somebody has placed a tent in the fairy area. I just went over and started pulling the stakes out, took off the rain flow, and they're like, under the net. They go, what's going on? I said, you're in the fairy area. Get out of here. <laughs> now. <laughs> so I can sleep, please. So, you might want to have a fairy area at your place, too. Nice for them to have a little special stop where they can go and feel that their chaos is being welcomed. Spirit of the plants has come to me in the form of a beautiful 
dancing green woman. Spirit of the plant says, come to me in the form of a beautiful dancing green woman. Her eyes fill me with peace. Her dance fills me with peace. Her eyes fill me with peace. Her dance fills me with peace. And so may it be that everywhere you go, the dancing green woman dances through your breath and reminds you that every breath is a giveaway dance. Blessed be.